The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. So there was this uh, young pastor just graduated from the seminary. Not talking about myself, just read this. Just graduated from the seminary, took his first call to a church that's been around for a long time, like congregation, you know, 100 years old or so. And so he was so, you know, when you come out of the seminary, just so, ah, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to change the world, I'm ready to reinvigorate the congregation, the dead, dying church, blah, 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 you know, so he's all charged up. First year he goes to a mission conference, and he gets back, and he's even more charged up, and he's, he's calling a meeting of his, his elders and, and the outreach team, the, the mission team, and say, come on, guys, I think we really need to refocus all our resources on making disciples. So at this meeting, you just hear the buzz, you know, yeah, yeah, make disciples, let's, let's go do this follow pastor into, into the battle and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, this elder hesitantly goes, um, pastor, if we're supposed to make disciples, what is one? Ooh, the room quieted down. Everybody, you know, that was all jazzed up saying, huh, I guess that might be a good idea to clarify if we're going to make disciples, what even is one? That's what I have you think about Today, Because if Jesus tells us to go and make disciples, shouldn't we be clear on what that means and how we're ever going to make disciples? If, if that's, you know, like if Jesus says to do that, then shouldn't we think about what's the outcome? What's the end product? Am I making a disciple now? All those kinds of things, all those questions we're going to talk about in a two-part sermon series. The first one, we're going to answer the question today, what even is a disciple? And then next week, we're going to talk about what does a disciple actually do? So off we go. You ready? All right, since we're called to make disciples, and we are called to make disciples, let's agree on that, yes? Yes, because Jesus said it. Where did Jesus say it? Tim's always ready to share. In the Bible, that's right, in the Bible, in the Gospels, getting closer. In the first one, the book of? Matthew, the last chapter. So why don't you open up your Bibles there? Matthew chapter 28, a few short verses we're going to read together. It's at every baptismal service that we, you know, when we baptize infants. I mean, the pastor is like, it's one of those that if you're a pastor, you should have it memorized. So I'd actually just speak it to you right now without looking. But anyway, I'm going to read it. You're laughing. Okay. First book of the New Testament, last chapter, Matthew 28. Jesus says, after he's risen from the dead, he's on the mountain before his ascension, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And here's the promise. And surely I am with you always. Not surely, the name, but surely I'm with you always to the very end end of the age. If, if we're all supposed to make disciples, then I have two questions for you. Are you discipling someone right now? And if so, do you know exactly what you're doing when you're making a disciple? Now, if you're unsure about answering those questions, then this is where you need to be because we need to define exactly what a disciple is because if you're a parent, 
If you're a grandparent, if you're a godparent, if you're a teacher, if you're a coach, if you're a friend, you might be discipling maybe some people that are younger than you. Or maybe you're discipling people that are older than you but not as spiritually mature as you are. Think about that. We're discipling. And if family members or friends are willing to be discipled, then how are you going to do it? How are you to be a disciple of Jesus first and then also go and make disciples? Would it be a good thing to know? Yeah, so the best place to start is right in Scripture, in Jesus' words, remembering what Jesus did actually when he called his first disciples. Do you remember that story? He's walking along the Sea of Galilee. He sees two brothers, Peter and Andrew, and he says, come what? Yeah, it's pretty good. Come follow me. Yeah. So the first thing, the first part of what a disciple is really is that a disciple follows Jesus. Now, that might be an accurate definition, but it might be a broad definition. Might be, we, we need to expound upon that. What specifically does that mean? Why? Why do we need to do that? Because there were crowds of people, the Bible says, and sometimes it uses the word multitudes. Multitudes in the Bible were following Jesus, but not everyone following Jesus is a disciple of Jesus. Right? So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Go to Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 19. In the Bibles we provide us on page 1,600, we're going to see people in the crowd that they really have many different motives of why they're following Jesus. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Son of God, praying to God, spending the night. So something's important is going to happen, Right? When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there. And a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. I'm going to stop there and just ask from this portion of Scripture, the most obvious first group of Disciples following Jesus after he comes down from the mountainside and praying is who? The 12. They're called what? Apostles. They're designated a special name, those chosen, extensively trained for this moment to lead his mission, right? You see, these apostles, and that word, by the way, means sent ones in the Greek. Apostles sent ones are all disciples. Disciples means learners. Those apostles were all sent ones learners too but but not all all disciples are apostles does that make sense apostles are disciples but not all disciples are apostles did you know that in the new testament there were other disciples uh, sorry other apostles actually besides the 12 you know when judas actually betrayed jesus and, and committed suicide right after jesus ascension and he's he's with them for before jesus ascension rather he's with them they chose another. Do you know the name of that one in the book of Acts? Yeah, Matthias. Matthias. And actually in his letters, Paul writes 
that he himself is an apostle. And in fact, he writes this way, I'm one abnormally born. Not that he had some physical ailment, but meaning he became an apostle in a different way than the other apostles because they were with Jesus through his whole ministry. But Paul was actually with Jesus when? His name was Saul, and then Paul came to him on the road to Damascus and zappo, whammo. He's on the floor, right? He's blind, and he gets actually personally trained by Jesus himself who, who comes right to him. So those apostles, that's the first group, a small number of them. But what about the second group? Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. There's a second group who followed Jesus. It says a large crowd of disciples and a great number of people. You see how that's differentiated a little bit? The second group of followers, they weren't as close to him as that inner 12. Kind of reminds me of Luke chapter 10. If you look on the screen, the Lord appointed 72 others, sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. See, the Bible doesn't limit disciples just to those 12 apostles, but they're even a greater circle. And actually, these 72 were given authority to drive out demons, ability to, to heal people. There were also several faithful women who followed Jesus. There were, there were people who believed in him in different towns, and they actually stayed in those towns and believed. Lots of disciples. And I picture us as his Christ followers today in this group. There's also a third group of people who followed Jesus. Look at this in verses 18 and 19. These are the people who really, they just wanted something from Jesus. That's why they followed him. They wanted food. Right? They wanted curing from disease. They, I mean, they wanted freedom from demon possession. Who wouldn't want those things? But they were the kind of people who, who maybe believed, but then they just received. Right? Believed and received. But then there was also a group who maybe didn't believe. They just wanted to receive those things. And, and maybe they, they wanted a, a group of people who, who were part of that following. And they said, you know what? Like the zealot that, that actually the apostle that, that, that Jesus picked. They wanted Jesus to overthrow Rome. And not have to be controlled by Rome anymore. Those are people who found. There were also people following that were Jewish people that were kind of reporting back to the Jewish authorities and saying, this is how we're going to trap him. So those kinds of people followed. You see, the crowds followed. They were loved by Jesus, all of them, right? They were taught by Jesus, all of them. They were healed by Jesus. They were even forgiven by Jesus. But not all were necessarily disciples of Jesus. So back to our original question, what is a disciple? Is a disciple one that, that, that kind of follows Jesus because they have a superior kind of faith? Is that what it means to be a disciple? Is a disciple one that displays an unwavering commitment? Is that what it means to be a disciple, a superior kind of faith? Are you supposed to have this immense trust in Jesus to be a disciple? Well, not really. Why? Because Jesus often chides his 12. Oh, you have little faith. And sometimes in their faith, you know, this child has more faith than you, 12 disciples, or this Roman soldier has more faith than you. Yikes. So is that what a disciple is? Do you have to have this kind of superior faith? No. What about, do you have to display some unwavering commitment to be a disciple? You know, do you have to, to trust them and follow them in immense faithfulness? Well, not really. Their example is in John chapter 6, he gives a hard teaching about eating my flesh and drinking my blood to follow me. And in, in, in John chapter 6, verse 60, it says, this is a hard teaching. His disciples said this. Who can accept it? And then in verse 66, it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Think about that. Picture the scene in the upper room, the Last Supper. 
And Jesus is, is talking to all of them. And Peter stands up and he says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And the Bible says, all the other disciples said the same. And then the Bible records what really happened. Verse 26, or chapter 26, verse 35 of Matthew. It says these words. Then all, doesn't say some, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. So being a disciple is not really about being spiritually superior to everybody else or having this amazing high level of commitment and faithfulness. So what makes a disciple a disciple? I like the way Tim Morton said this, Coach Tim over here. He said when he got the why right of coaching, he got it. It's the same with this. What makes a disciple a disciple? What's the qualification? It's the why they're following Jesus. Jesus was a teacher, and in those days, the word teacher, do you know what the name for that is in the kind of the Aramaic Hebrew? Jesus was a, a rabbi. He was a carpenter, but he's also a rabbi, a, a, a teacher. And when you hear those words, everyone knew kind of the difference between being an admirer of a rabbi or just maybe a student just kind of learning the teachings of that rabbi or being a disciple of the rabbi. If you wanted to be a disciple, you had to become like the rabbi. See, disciples followed the rabbi not just to hear, but to imitate, to obey, to take in, to kind of do life with the rabbi. Because you know it as well as I do if you read the Gospels. Jesus is, is found everywhere teaching these disciples, saying, don't just hear my words, but do them. Do what I do. It's about becoming more and more like Jesus and having him transform our lives. That's discipleship. So the goal of a disciple or a follower of any rabbi really was to become like the rabbi. I, I like what Luke chapter 6, verse 40 says. Jesus' words, everyone who is fully trained, everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Reminds me of those Padawans that Yoda trains in Star Wars. Reminds me of Mr. Miyagi training daniel son, you know, in the, in the karate kit. But back in Jesus' day, being a disciple of a rabbi wasn't so much about taking a month, you know, signing up for a month-long class or listening to a podcast. Now, that's all well and good that you study and, and, and all that. But, but following Jesus, in his own words, was a costly decision. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, he must, what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Becoming one of those 12 disciples, or apostles rather, that meant for them leaving their businesses, leaving their nets behind, leaving their earthly treasures behind, leaving their families. They lived and they learned with Jesus for three years. So as Christians today, as Christ followers, you know that word sometimes in the Bible, disciple and Christian, they're, they're sort of synonymous when you read some of the letters. Each of us, I think, really have to consider what it means to be a disciple from crossing that line, right, occasionally to like being, uh, looking at Jesus and, and, and from afar and maybe it's like a hobby, right, to actually becoming a disciple of Jesus as a lifestyle. Hobby versus lifestyle. You know, sometimes I hear in the word when I'm, when I'm, when I'm reading it, you know, you got to be Jesus, I got to be Jesus. You know, you're the pastor, right? I got, you know, 600 times two eyes looking at me, right? No, 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 no. If I think that way, 
if I think like, wait, I need to strive to be Jesus, I set myself up for failure all the time. If I think like, I can't be Jesus, that's impossible. But I can be like him. I can be like him. In the Old Testament times, Jewish rabbis would kind of evaluate their disciples by seeing how well they did following their teaching, like how they lived it out in life. And I think about God evaluating me. Hey, Tony, how you doing being my disciple? And it's like, oh, not very good sometimes. Ask my wife, ask my kiddos, how you doing following Jesus sometimes? And then, you know, in my prayer life, sorry, God, I did it again. I failed. I'm just, I can't do it. You know, and then when I think about that, and I think about Jesus wanting me to be his disciple, and I am his disciple, I hear him say, Tony, that's exactly right. That's where I want you to be. I want you to be humble and repentant and understanding, acknowledging your shortcomings and failures because that's what a disciple does. And then we get reminded, a sinner is not all you are. You're forgiven. You're washed, you're baptized, you're made clean. You have the Holy Spirit and Jesus in you. Is that good news? It is. That's the complete truth of a disciple. That's who you really are. Forgiven, washed, clean. And because of that, Jesus and the Holy Spirit living inside you, we can become like his disciples. I love what Philippians says. Two chapters, Philippians 1 first. It says, being confident of this. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you as you leave this place, after you celebrate Holy Communion, you leave this place, I want you to be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Not you, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion so that we might be ever increasing like Jesus. Less of me, more of him. Philippians 2.13 says, for it is God, not Tony Bowes, not you who works in you. It's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Those are comforting words, aren't they? That God does the changing, he does the transforming, he does the sanctifying, making us more and more holy. There's a Christian author, I read one of his books, uh, Henry Nouwen is his name. He wrote The Return of the Prodigal Son. I like the way he says this about discipleship. He says it this way, we do not think ourselves, we don't think ourselves into a new way of living as much as we live ourselves into a new way of thinking. That's discipleship. I thought that was pretty profound. By being filled up with God's truth, by being filled up with his spirits, we're kind of living life as we read the scriptures about being his disciple. And then knowing the promise that Jesus lives in you, the Holy Spirit is in you, we can live and be like Jesus. Because Jesus is in us, works through us to a world that desperately needs him. Amen? So what makes a disciple? It's our really our desire. Our desire to be humble and repentant and then follow and imitate our Savior. So, I just find it very comforting to remember for myself, I can't be Jesus, but I can be like him. And he starts that process by washing me of my sins in baptism, by helping me come to church, be in a small group, read his word, talk about him and just understand what he's teaching Go and make disciples. How? By baptizing and teaching and reminding everyone what he has said. You see, here's the thing. A disciple follows Jesus. 
A disciple follows Jesus in order to become like him so that we can participate in his mission of reconciling the world to himself as really a daily lifestyle. I'm going to break that down just a little bit because sometimes we like to use big words like reconciling, right? Reconciling, it really just means to resolve, to make right again. And if you think about Jesus and his mission coming, do you remember after his resurrection, he kind of walks through walls into the cowering group of 12 apostles, right? And he says, peace be with you. Your sins are forgiven. He breathes on them, gives them the Holy Spirit. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm what? Sending you. To do what? To redeem. That means to buy back from sin and death and the devil. That's exactly what Jesus did when he died on the cross for us. To redeem, to reconcile, to make new again, to restore, to restore his creation. I love what 2 Corinthians 5.18 says. All this, all this, that means everything that God has done for you and for me. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And then he's committed to us that same message of reconciliation. If you're new to the Christian faith, it's a big word, but don't worry about it. It just means to make right again. Just means to tell the good news that you're a sinner and so am I, but we've been forgiven because Jesus died on the cross. Not only that, he rose again from the dead because there's more to this life than just here. Praise God for that, amen? You remember how those crowds followed Jesus? Do you remember that when we read in Luke? They loved to hear his teaching. They said, man, this guy has all kinds of wisdom. He has all kinds of authority. They loved benefiting from all that teaching and that wisdom and those miracles. They didn't hesitate you know, to, to receive that, but what did they hesitate? They hesitated on actually becoming his disciples. But what does Jesus do? He continues to freely give. He continually gives us what we don't deserve, his grace, his mercy, And he wants us to move closer to becoming a disciple, his disciple. So what's a disciple? A disciple follows Jesus to become like him so that we can participate with him on his mission. And then we show others how to do the same. I asked you two questions when we started this message. I asked you if you were discipling someone. I asked you, do you know exactly what you're doing when you're doing that? I tell you, I, I can't answer those questions either, right? It's hard. I think about that. Maybe you never put those words the way I, I asked you. You never thought about it that way. But if you're a parent, you're discipling someone. If you're a grandparent, if you're a godparent, if you're a friend, and someone wants to be discipled, well, we get to learn about that next week, right? What disciples do, so don't miss that. But what God is doing right now, he's asking you as his Christ followers, hey, join me in my mission. He wants full participation. I don't know about you, but there's sometimes when I, when I wake up, you know, and I'm going to go coach a game or I'm going to go visit somebody in the hospital or whatever, it's like a great adventure. God, what are you going to do? You know, and then I get to, to come home like, kids, this is what God did. This is how I got to share about Jesus today. I pray that you get that same kind of excitement as you follow Jesus. Amen? So, as Jesus ascended into heaven, 
these first disciples of him, these first Christians, they, what the Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 2, they, they, they came together to hear the apostles' teaching. They, they had fellowship, but they also broke bread together. Disciples of Jesus, that's what we get to do today. We heard his word. We prayed together. Afterwards, you can have some fellowship. But before that, I invite you, as I prepare the table, would you prepare your heart? So bow your heads, and maybe as you, you speak to God in your mind and in your hearts, maybe you can say, God, in my sinful nature, you know what? I've done these things, and I've failed to do these things, and so I repent of them. So think about that. I love what God's word says in 1 John. It says, if we claim we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. As you make your confession, be assured that Jesus heard that. God the Father knows that. And for Jesus' sake, he's forgiven you of all your sins. Amen.